there was an idea to bring together a couple of queer geeks to discuss the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective when no one else could. <laughs> we called it Box Not Included. <laughs> I am Hamish, all my friends are kings, steel. And I'm Jade. Tom Holland is, quite frankly, the best Spider-Man. However, I am going to fight him in a parking lot, Rose. <laughs> and uh, today we're sort of having a bit of a return to some old school box not included stylings in that this episode is a pure catch up, geek out. Dun, 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 dun. Yes, it's utterly very dramatic. But no, um, yeah. we had a week off, which and we're, we're sorry for that. Schedules are a pain. And we have yet to be able to find a guest to continue our mini-series. So we thought, let's do what we do best. Let's talk about the shit that we've been watching, listening to. And there's been a couple of uh, bigger things that have happened since the last time we geeked out that we wanted to talk about. And like some smaller things we thought would have a sort of a light catching up episode before we sort of get back to our more issue driven things <laughs> so yeah i mean even though we have we only took one week off from uploading uh we tend to record episodes in a batch so we actually haven't catched up about anything in about four or five weeks no um so in that time i have consumed a number of things i had to actually remind myself of all the things i'd seen yeah no likewise um, i've done a few things so, uh, would you like to go first with something you've consumed? Um, yeah, I meant... No, I didn't mention this. This got mentioned on something else that I had consumed. That was a convoluted <laughs> sentence. Um, Hamish very kindly got me uh, Professor Merston and the Wonder Women for my birthday. It's a film that I've been wanting to see for a while. And I watched it uh, on my birthday with um, with my partner, Graham. And... Oh... My God, many a feel. My cuppeth did runneth over. <laughs> I think when I gave it to you, I did say like, even though it's a present, you don't need to like it. So yep, no, but and I, I and I very much did. Um, for people that maybe don't know, it's a biopic, sort of. Uh, I don't know how many liberties they take, but about um, and I should have pulled up the details. Uh, Professor hmm. Merston, a man who actually invented the lie detector. And mm. also was the creator of Wonder Woman. Um, <laughs> as claims to fame go, but he chose to release... Interestingly enough, he chose to release the lie detector. He didn't patent it, so he never made any money off like the lie detector as we know it. So Because uh, he mm. believed that people should have access to the technology. And he was a psychologist. And um, that, and the fact that he was in love with two very different women... Um, mm. uh, yeah, uh, wrote Wonder wrote Wonder Woman, and it was sort of um, depending on I don't know the the historical facts, uh, but this this film sort of made it very clear, like the way these different women sort of uh, fed into the creation of Wonder Woman and his own um, feelings about uh, dominance and submission and how they're a part of sort of human nature and instincts and what we get out of them. And as somebody that studied psychology. I very much enjoyed that aspect of it. As somebody who is who is queer, I very much enjoyed seeing that. As somebody who is polyamorous, I enjoyed seeing that treated with love and respect and care. Mm. But it's a beautifully acted movie. It's uh, Luke Evans, uh, Rebecca Hall, and uh, 
Bella Heathcott, I believe, or Heathcott, uh, playing the three leads. Rebecca Hall is as amazing as she always is. Uh, her and Bella Heathcott sort of really steal the movie away from Luke Evans, quite mm. frankly. And it's this, it's a love story that you see portrayed on screen and the way these people uh, are this presence in each other's lives and their struggles and the choices that they make. And it's, be I wasn't expecting the film to be so beautifully shot. It's like, it's gorgeous to look at. And if you haven't seen it, I sorely recommend it. But yeah, I got to the end of the movie and I was crying because um, Professor Merston himself uh, died of cancer in the 30s, I mm. believe. But um, his wife and their partner, um, and Olive, whose surname I can't remember, uh, stayed together the rest of their lives, raising their children. And just they were together until like they died of old age together. And it's just like, yeah. And then I was there just like crying at the end. And my partner's looking at me like, are you okay? Just like, it's just <laughs> so lovely to see. So, I, I, yeah. I always knew the um, lie detector factoids. And I always thought it was funny he made a hero with a, a lasso of truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and I know people used to comment on Wonder Woman used to get uh, tied up in a lot of mm-hmm. knots that were very reminiscent of knots used in uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, certain activities. Yeah. Uh, and so there's often a bit of debate about Wonder Woman. Like, it happens a lot with heroes. Like, how feminist is a character who mm. is in charge of their sexuality? Yeah. Even if it's they are in charge of her sexuality, but the character is written by men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just been really interested to see that. So I'm glad that you liked it. Very much so. Um, do sorely recommend. Uh, I believe the film was written as well as directed by women. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, get out there and support those kinds of movies, guys. Uh, but I could talk more about it, but I'd just be getting into the specifics about stuff that I maybe shouldn't talk about on this podcast. Um <laughs> But Hamish, what's the first thing that you've been doing or catching up on or geeking out over? Well, I've tried to see more films because I'm, I grew up in the countryside where a cinema was like a 50 minute drive and uh, I'm still getting used to the fact that now I live somewhere where I can walk to the cinema. Mm. Um, and on Tuesdays they do really cheap tickets. So I've actually been doing more kind of solo trips to the cinema and seeing a couple of films a day on those cheap Tuesdays sometimes. Nice. Um, so I've seen a bunch of things. Um, I saw Isle of Dogs and... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I saw A Quiet Place, which I really liked. Um, what else? But the I guess the thing that really stood out to me is Love, Simon. Um, mm. A film which... Uh, some people on Twitter, I think, have asked us our opinions of. It didn't come out in the UK for a long time after uh, America, annoyingly. Um, but I did see it, and I kind of went in with... I didn't get my hopes up about it, because I do have a tendency, hence our podcast, to be overly critical and analytical of queer media, and it kind of ruins my fun sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um in a way that I I don't give other films the same critical eye, and I think that's definitely my problem. Um, 
Well, I just didn't want to get my hopes up. And I'd heard some things about the film, like the main character was a little bit uh, not like one of those gays Mm -hmm. type character. Um, I'd heard that a much uh, more femme camp gay character gets sort of thrown under the bus, metaphorically. (laughs) Um, Mm. And so I'd heard all this kind of criticism, but it was very minor. And um, anyway... I thought the film was absolutely delightful and I too was sobbing <laughs> a lot <laughs> towards the film. I went to see it with Mel and uh, two other friends and we're all, and also Justin, my husband. So we're all kind of uh, savvy media geeks and queer. Mm-hmm. So we all kind of went in with trepidation. Um and it's really, really lovely, and it, it it sets up a lot of tropes, which then it wonderfully subverts. Um, there was a few times in the film where we're all a bit worried about, oh, okay, they're going to do that, aren't they? Um, but it's really lovely, and there's so many really well-observed things that I have never seen in a coming-out story. I guess I'll just briefly explain the film is about a character called Simon, who is gay, um, hasn't come out uh his school has a anonymous kind of gossip website um and someone else in the school puts up a post saying that they're gay and simon anonymously contacts this person and they start a kind of anonymous uh online relationship and it's very very sweet and they start this kind of online relationship and there's lots of a lot of the film is about him working out who it is plays into a lot of kind of the idea of gaydar, I guess, the idea of trying to tell someone's sexuality through clues, um, which I guess sounds a little bit problematic, but it's just done really sweetly mm-hmm. and very genuinely. And um, it's just very nice showing the weight of certain things. Like yeah. uh, there's an element of the plot about outing and that's given like amazing weight, like, and how horrifying that is. Um there's different kinds of coming out in the film uh-huh. um, and different reactions, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, and I guess there was this one moment in the film where I I realised, okay, this is going to subvert things. It's very early on. Mm-hmm. The, the film starts with a narration of him saying, I'm just like you. I'm just an ordinary person, blah, 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 blah. But I have a secret. And the narration makes it sound like he's talking to the straight audience. Mm-hmm. And I was a bit kind of, okay, this film is a, not for me. It's about me, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but as we go further on, you find out that he's reading out his email to the other anonymous gay person in the school. Ah. He's saying, I'm just like you. And I, that was when I kind of like realized, okay, this film isn't necessarily it's for everyone the cinema was packed and people were cheering and whatever when certain things happen uh-huh. um but yeah it, it was it was just very good awesome. i didn't expect it to be so good yeah um i know that there was a lot of press around regarding love simon it's just like do we really need movies uh, about gay teens for gay teens short answer yes um 
But there's a lot of talk about this being sort of like a pioneering movie. And while it's, I think it's fair to say just like, yes, Love, Simon is important. And uh, maybe the nature of how big a release it was. Like I remember seeing like posters on the sides of buses and stuff for uh, for Love, Simon. But um, I want to give a shout out to an article that Rowan Ellis uh, wrote. We've mentioned Rowan before on the podcast. Um, she does sort of like analysis of media from a queer perspective as well though she does sort of video essays uh, she did an essay uh, not an essay an article uh, love simon is not the only film depicting the lives of young queer people here are 62 more and it's a <laughs> fantastic just list of movies that perhaps you haven't heard of or that just a resource because i know so many of us strive for representation i know we have some younger listeners which i don't mean to, to sound condescending but i am the ancient age of 32 now so anyone like less than 25 is a young one. So, but um, if you look, I searched for Rowan Ellis gay teen movies and found it as the first result, but that was written for the pool uh, website, thepool.com. So mm. if you want to check that out, find some films that maybe you haven't seen. And they are by no means all movies made in Hollywood or, or like indie American movies. There's like films from all over the place and it's a really great resource so shout out to Rowan for putting that together yeah I mean half of why Love Simon is so important is the sort of context of its release and mm -hmm. how many cinemas it's playing in yes um, I was also kind of delighted to find out that uh, the book has a sequel where one of the side characters comes out as bisexual and I'm kind of hoping ooh are we going to get uh, a book of every single character in the film coming out? <laughs> um, so yeah, that was the film I saw. Uh, what else have you been seeing mm. or doing or what have you? <laughs> what have? What have? Um, I just time to talk finished about the big one? Uh, literally yesterday. Um, I finished watching Voltron. Um, I mentioned right. that I'd, I'd started watching it. I have now watched all five se seasons that are currently out. Apparently season six starts in June. So I'll be uh, keeping my eye out for that. And Voltron was one of those things that um, I was sort of very aware of via osmosis to the point where I had it blacklisted because a couple of people I follow on Tumblr were posting a lot of art of it. And I can see why it has the rep that it has for some of the issues with it. However, I I really have enjoyed it. Like there are a couple there was the odd episode where I was like, well, this is a bit of a slog. But I think as I said when I, I mentioned it that I'd started watching it, um, it that my niece had recommended the cartoon to me. And I can definitely see why kids like it so much. And I have a tendency to give scathing commentary to most things I watch because I'm an awful person that way. <laughs> yeah. um, and sort of adding sort of not safe for work commentary on certain things. But I'm not going to apologise for that. But I'm invested in the characters and some of the animation is really good. And like I, I like a lot of the planet's designs. Like they do interesting things with how things look and they have fun with aliens in a way that I find a lot of sci-fi shows don't even the ones that are animated which is a pity because when you're animated I think you have that freedom to do utterly bizarre kind of looking aliens like they have a they, they have a like an alien species that literally just look like human-sized tardigrades and they're mm. just like oh my gosh but 
Yeah, I haven't really gone looking into the fandom side of things yet, which I understand there's some very vocal parts of it that are kind of unpleasant. But it also, as we've said before, that's most fandoms, quite yeah. frankly. Um, but yeah, so I, I would casually say I'm an enjoyer of Voltron. I wouldn't go so far as to say I have become a fan. Um the other Netflix cartoon that I'm going to have to give a shout out to because I have been enjoying it uh, quite a lot and I'm seeing it sort of really kind of take off on social media, people doing fan art and talking about it is uh, Agretsuko uh, mm -hmm. from Sanrio, which if people don't know is a little about a little red panda who works in accounting and hates her job and relieves stress by singing death metal. <laughs> yeah. and uh, it's very cute it's that sort of style that people obviously know from like Hello Kitty because that Sanrio it is Sanrio that make Hello Kitty right and I haven't just embarrassed myself in front of our podcast I team. wouldn't know sorry uh, well hopefully I have not embarrassed myself <laughs> but it's cute it's little anthro animals there's uh, one of uh, Retsko's co-workers is a fennec fox and there's a guy called Haida in their office who's a hyena who is obviously those two are my favourites And, like, it deals with, like, sort of misogyny and things like that. And there's these two, like, older ladies uh, in the office. One is a secretary bird and one's a gorilla. And they're just, like, these awesome ladies with power walks. And it's hmm. each episode's about 10 minutes long. It's not without its problems as a show, but it's really fun. It's really colourful. The death metal is actually incredibly well done. Um, my partner's watched some episodes with the subtitles. I've been watching the dubbed version. And uh, it's really good fun. I'd check it out. I'm probably going to be doing a cosplay of one of the characters at Nine Worlds <laughs> later this year. So, but yeah, it's fun. I've enjoyed it. And uh, give it a check out. But uh, Hamish, back to you. Um, I watched WrestleMania, which was that, my very first... I was going to say, that was not a uh, sentence I was expecting to come out of your mouth. Please continue. <laughs> no. Um, so, um, Mel Pisswitch Trenders, uh, partner, Paul, is a big wrestling fan, um, and it, they watch WrestleMania every year as a party, mm -hmm. and this year I, um, feigned some interest, and so I went along. <laughs> um, and it's amazing. It's, I've actually seen, uh one wrestling event live like mm. professional wrestling the wwe stuff um at a friend's birthday when i was younger yeah in cardiff um and i had an n64 wrestling game and those are like my two points of reference mm -hmm. um but it could get, so it was like seven hours long it did a really good job of um setting up the fight each time like they'd come out but they'd give you a little edited together backstory of what this fight means um who the characters are why they hate each other mm -hmm. <laughs> um and i don't know i just i it was really nice being introduced to a geeky thing by people who really into it um you know i felt very uh i felt like a guest in someone else's fandom yeah. so i i try to understand it and I ask questions and I learn lots of things. I know what a heel is. I know what pushing means, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Um, and, you know, I would just say, I point at one of them and say, I like that one. And they'd say, okay, let me tell you a little bit about that story and how many times they've come back from the dead and, <laughs> <laughs> and like sold their soul to the devil. <laughs> um, 
There was one in particular, and I can't remember her name, but anyone that's into wrestling will know who I'm talking about. Uh, who I'm talking about. She's a Japanese woman. She had two... Um, actually, the women's wrestling was what I was really into. Um, I've heard that over the years they've, like, changed it from being, okay, now let's watch the girls fight. Originally, their wrestling belt was, like, a sparkly butterfly belt, <laughs> which is both, like, ugh, and also kind of amazing. Um, yeah. But they really gave it the same, like, uh, drama and level of the other ones. And for some reason, I just found the fights more interesting because I just felt there was a bit more uh, choreography and, um, di- you know, it wasn't just two guys slapping each other. It was kind of like climbing all over each other mm-hmm. and, like, running around. It was just really fun. Um, but yeah, this one, this one, uh, I found out that basically the villains are the popular ones because they're the really dramatic ones. Uh-huh. Uh, and so she she walks out in this big fur coat and a kind of kabuki mask and uh, is sort of dancing and being all strange and weird. But um, as soon as she takes the mask off, she's like pretty adorable and really expressive. And <laughs> I was rooting for her the whole time. Uh, unfortunately, she lost. Aww. But that's just how it goes when you support the villains. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just really fun. And I definitely do it next year. But the the idea that WrestleMania is wrestling Christmas, but it, there's still like four hours of wrestling a week if you yeah. want to get into it. Um, I'm, I'm good for now. But I'll definitely <laughs> watch WrestleMania again. But there was one moment of WrestleMania mm. where at the very start they brought in like 40 wrestlers and they all were punching and slapping and hitting each other in a ring. Mm-hmm. And I thought, gosh, I bet this is what Infinity War is going to be like. How's that for a segue? That was, that was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to get into Infinity War. Um Hopefully you would have seen in the episode description of the episode, I'm saying this ahead of time, uh, we're going to mark where we're talking about Infinity War because we are going to get spoilery. If you have not seen the movie, you are going to want to skip ahead, however much. But yeah, this is no, this is not a spoiler-free zone. Yeah, Let's talk about Infinity War. Going into it. What did you think of Avengers Infinity War? I thought it was a very Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. I thought it was, and it wasn't. I did think it did some things Mm -hmm. that Marvel Cinematic Universe films don't tend to do. Yeah. But I think there is a... In our tiny, tiny, tiny chat before the episode, Mm. uh, you referenced a point that's very Marvel Cinematic Universe where... You'll think there's stakes and you'll think things are permanent. Yeah. But they probably won't be. Yeah. I mean, when I said it was a very Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, it left me with the amount of feeling that a Marvel, most of the Marvel movies tend to. There were definitely aspects of the film I enjoyed. There were as- um, there's a reason why I cited Tom Holland at the beginning of the uh, in my title. I have yet to see Homecoming and I need to, but he was just a delight in this. And then also... I'll get onto that in a minute. There were aspects I I enjoyed that were fun. There were aspects that upset me. There were aspects, there was a lot of stuff I was just kind of, eh, okay. But I mean, I could have quite happily watched Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy. I could have watched two and a (laughs) half hours of that. That, Their stuff I pretty much universally enjoyed. I really liked uh, Tony and Doctor Strange and Peter. 
I really liked their stuff. Mm. Um, I do feel they wasted an opportunity by not having Star-Lord say, what, no, no shit, Sherlock, when they had Robert Downey Jr. and Benedict Cumberbatch together. Mm. Um, I And I have to give a shout out to this moment because it was a thing of glory. When was it Proxima Midnight or Midnight Proxima through that spear and it got caught and out of the shadows stepped Chris Evans as Nomad slash Captain America. There was this sort of ripple of noise through the screening I was in of like, <laughs> yes. There was definitely some lust in there, some definite fanboy. Yes. But there was just like this palpable woof. Just like, ah, oh, yes, Chris Evans is here. To me, it felt exactly like it was a perfect adaptation of what an event comic is, mm. where you kind of get everyone's in it. Mm-hmm. So barely anyone has any screen time. But if, for example, you haven't seen uh, Spider Man Homecoming, yeah. you're like, you seeing Spider Man will make you think, ooh, I'll check out his film. Mm. And that's kind of the point of event comics, is you come because you're told how important it is how high the stakes are and i think the film did do a good job of making the stakes feel higher than the average marvel film. agreed but um ultimately uh these event comics are kind of done to clean the slate a little bit yes when things get a bit too big um and you know i i, I thought the fact that dr strange was in the film so much was kind of interesting because his film was popular but he's definitely not one of the ones i hear people talk about and mm. his film was straddled with a lot of controversy so a lot of people didn't see it um but a lot of his film was kind of like showing him off in a way i was gonna say like, yeah look I, I said when i got home i went and saw infinity war by myself which mm. it's a bit of more of a mission to get to the cinema for me but i wanted to see it before i got uh, irrevocably spoiled, but I yeah. um like you were saying about event comics make you want to check out things. I watched that film. It's just like okay, now I kind of want to watch the Doctor Strange movie, mm. just to I, see like I, the I visual mean... effect side of things because those were the things I really enjoyed. And I'm always a sucker for creative fight scenes, and yeah. the scene on Titan where the Guardians, Peter, Tony, and Doctor Strange were fighting Thanos and actually using little portals and stuff. I was like, mm. now that is interesting. That is cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I do think even if the film ultimately is kind of fine, it's still a very impressive feat because yes. it could have been horrifyingly yeah. impenetrable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was thinking after watching the film, like, I think like Black Widow might have had six lines of dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like all the Black Panther characters are more or less like a third act cameo. Um, but like, that's necessary. I've seen some criticism saying like some characters don't even have arcs. I'm like, well, that's the sacrifice you have to make for these kinds of stories. Um, Mm. in many ways, like Thanos is the main character. And I think that's, I guess, a, a wise choice as he's the only like, We've seen him sit in a chair for 10 years. <laughs> so yeah, I was gonna he should say, kind of do like, something. Tha- yeah, I mean, Thanos, I feel, is one of... Since, like, arguably Loki in, like, the Avengers and, like, to a lesser extent, Thor, just, like, that's probably the best Marvel, Miller, Marvel villain we've had, like, in terms mm. of writing, but also in terms of performance. Like, I'll give it up to Josh Brolin, like... 
while I am certainly not one of the people just like, oh yeah, Thanos, he was really cool. I really understand. I get, he was talking to, no, 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 no. But he did an evocative performance. And I think if you can create an art, a kind of sympathetic character or at least an emotionally engaging one um, mm. with somebody that wants to destroy life in half of the universe or destroy half of the life in the universe, I feel you've done something right, both from the writing side of things and from the performance side of things. Yeah, there's a difference between Thanos was right and... I understand why a person like Thanos exists. Mm. I thought he was a pretty good representation of what an abusive father could be mm. like, where it's not constant, you know, he's not a mm. um, constant villain to certain characters. They yeah. keep you trapped in their spell by mm. by being nice to you, by having a heart. Um yeah. You know, sorry to bring in Hitler, but you often see people go like, oh, but look at Hitler's paintings or look at this picture of him holding his daughter's hand and things like that. And you're like, yeah, we need to stop the idea that villains are villains 24-7, that they are normal people. That's that's the thing. Um, like humanizing villains doesn't necessarily, isn't about excusing them, just like that's the thing about villains. I mean, Thanos isn't a human or a normal, a quote, normal person, <laughs> but... If you can create, like, that empathy that you can have makes them more just like, oh, I can relate to feeling like that. Oh, my God, that feeling in him created that. It becomes yeah. more horrifying. And I do think um, phase three we're in, I think they have tried to do better with their villains. Oh, definitely. Um, There's definitely been improvement. Like, Hella is great. Love Hella. Hella, Hella but Hella's great for a different reason yes. because... I always want a Hella scene because I'm enjoying Kate Blanchett so much hamming yeah. it up. Um, Killmonger in Black Panther, um, the other sympathetic Marvel Eric who maybe was right. <laughs> um, uh, he's really great as well. He he, but that's because this film gives you the screen time to get to know why he's like this. To yes, um, treat him like a hero of his own story rather than just say he is in mm. the press tour, right? Um, and, uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy also had a, a, a bad dad storyline. Yeah. <laughs> um, it seems to be a theme, yeah. bad fathers. Um, but I don't know. I, I think the film had flaws, mm -hmm. but it wasn't the mess it could have been. Yeah. I mean, arguably its treatment of the female heroes is... Mm -hmm. It's bad. In a lot well, of we ways. we said we were doing spoilers. Yep. Um, Let's talk about it. I feel, I felt a very weird conflict about the Gamora yeah. story. Mm -hmm. Because at the one hand, it's fridging and bad and she deserves so much better. Mm. Um, but there is an element of like, we need to show nobody's safe. Mm -hmm. It kind of in a way makes sense. Like I, I liked that... One of my worries for the film is you have two Guardians of the Galaxies movies of Gamora and Nebula having this, and Drax having these like really personal storylines of Thanos. Yeah. But he'd be, you know, he's going to be Tony Stark's villain because it's an Avengers film. Yeah. So I was, I liked that they did acknowledge that and have gave it screen time. And I wasn't mm -hmm. expecting Gamora to be 
you know, so significant. Yeah. But then it is also kind of shitty. Yeah. Um, and also the fact that we have that extended uh, torture scene of Nebula, mm. which just made me... And I appreciate, yeah, Thanos is a villain, but I don't need to see a woman's body being brutalised again in yeah. a movie. Um, obviously, what Wanda goes through, pretty fucking shitty. Yeah. Quite frankly. Uh, um it's like, you know, Tony Stark gets stabbed and watches friends die and loses things and blah, blah, blah. But it's just reminding yourself that the way in which male characters and female characters are punished is very different. Yes. Um, you know, we see Doctor Strange being tortured, but mm. it's never it's never bodily. It's never like he's he's getting like knives coming in, going into him. But like it it doesn't feel voyeuristic and like penetrate penetratory mm. it's it's a fine line um and i think they crossed it in this film yeah i mean props um, i mean uh zoe saldana fucking knocks it out of the park like i saw somebody say they didn't like the change in her characterization from the earliest growing up that i don't have issue with i really liked all her interactions with peter Mm. I really thought their evolution of a relationship to where it, how it was being portrayed in Infinity War was really good. I think while Star-Lord Peter Quill has does have a touch of that man-child vibe about him, I like Star-Lord. I will quite happily go to bat and talk about why I find him an interesting character and why I think he's a fun character. He's a character and- that is a... Sorry. Uh, no, no, He's on, a character please. that is a... He's a, he's a, he's a man-child with like a really strong backstory explanation to that. Yes. I think people don't like Manchild when there's no real reason for it, but mm-hmm. like he has a complete stunted development. Yes. He has like a rucksack from when he was a kid of everything he likes as a kid. Mm. And from that point on was like a petty criminal. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I loved it. I mean, it's such tiny little subtle things, but I really loved at the very start when they're flying about listening to music and Gamora's like singing and dancing as well. Yeah. Um, and this, the, the scene of star Lord, like killing her. Yeah. That they're was like, a, like they are great together. They like a really mm-hmm. earned relationship. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will say, um, this is a sort of a deep, I say a deep cut spoiler, uh, a Q and a that was had, uh, with the Russo brothers, the final scene where we see Thanos and young Gamora at the end of the movie, mm. that is taking place within the soul stone itself. Yeah. And part of Gamora's soul is in there. So she's kind of still alive. Yeah. I mean, but the I, fact of the matter is we did see her, she, we did see her brutalized dead body on screen and it is used mm. as that moment, that sort of impetus for, Peter to do something stupid. Yeah, she serves as, I mean, it's a credit to how complex her character is, I guess, that she kind of serves as, um, like, grief motivation for both Thanos and Star-Lord and Nebula, potentially. Um, And I I, I would love to see in the next one, Mm. um, it's kind of like a weird debate because I want deaths to matter. 
we we um, need to talk but, we need to talk about that yeah i i would like her to be in the soul stone and like be mm. his kind of conscience morality be, pet be the thing that's sort of calling him out um yeah and for something like that to happen i uh i actually this is one of the few times i've read the comic oh right but it's kind of based on yeah and i was not expecting it to be in any way uh faithful yeah um and we've only seen half of it really this is but, true um the Infinity sort of gauntlet comic starts with everyone kind of waking up and realizing half of everyone's gone. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's kind of like a neat way to do an event comic, but get rid of the superheroes who are a bit too powerful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but I like that at the end of this film, we are kind of left with the OG Avengers. And so it feels like the next film mm. will kind of be a proper like finale to what we consider the Avengers. Yeah. And um, um I mean with the post credit sequence seeing um Hill and Fury get dusted, as it were. Mm. But yeah, like the people that were stayed in there, when that little page lit up with that logo, I was like, Yes, she is coming. <laughs> she is Save coming. Us. Let me um, but um we were saying about stakes earlier. And the problem of having half of your cast go into the breeze as the downbeat climax of your movie. And I'm not saying that it wasn't effective visually. That was one of the maybe two moments, three moments in the film that actually got the emotional response out of me. I think they wanted. Um, Mm. Tom Holland's improvised, I hasten to add, um, performance as Peter Parker was dying. I was just like... Okay, one, you saw that episode of Doctor Who where David Tennant <laughs> did that line, I'm sure. But two, that was perfectly, that was one of the few moments where I went, oh, shit. Mm. But the problem is, I know for a fact that Tom Holland is doing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. I know that there is a Black Panther 2 coming out. Yeah. And that's I mean- why these things don't have the weight that you want. You can't have a big franchise system like this and publicly announce things and then expect us to feel that weight and those stakes. If you do... And it's also... One, it's comics. People come back from the dead Mm. all the time. But I think... I do think the film has two kinds of death. This is true. Which is pre-dusting. Yeah. Um, You know, the, the... Loki one, mm-hmm. Heimdall, and some earlier ones, like they feel they had weight. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, the second you see Black Panther uh, dusting away after he has one of the highest mm-hmm. grossing movies of all time, you're like, nah. yeah, sure, Jan. Yeah, <laughs> like, sure, Jan. Um, but like, it's it's. I think it's less about being sad they're dead and more about ooh, how are they going to get this back how are yeah. we going to save them yeah i also um, really appreciate the tumblr post i saw which was just like tony and steve seeing each other after half of the universe has been destroyed and they just look it's the gift from a moment in the bodyguard where like kevin costner and whitney houston are just looking to each other with impassive faces across a swimming pool that mm. made me laugh I, I won't lie to you I, w- I mean i one thing of the film that actually i was really worried about that no one's I didn't see anyone talking about, mm-hmm. um, was 
the fact that Valkyrie is not in the film, and I'm sad because mm. apparently sure. she is with the half of the Asgardians that survived. Yes, it's not stated explicitly, mm-hmm. um, but Thor does say that half of the ship had died. The film does start with, uh, I think it's actually Loki's voice saying that mm-hmm. um, we haven't we haven't evacuated everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Tessa Thompson has filmed stuff for these films. But, uh, but she was busy uh, falling in love with Janelle and I, who we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, after that the was break. my loose segue uh, into this. Oh, um, we should have a tea break I, first. I think so as well. Okay, let's uh, let's put the kettle on. the middle section of the show where we stop talking about things and talk about other things for a brief amount of time (laughs) yes this is the intermission that will definitely need to take place in avengers 4 Mm -hmm. if they are going to fit everything they want to in it yeah um thank you for listening to box not included thank you for being patient when we have to take weeks off Mm -hmm. Uh, if you enjoy our bad ramblings, please think about rating, reviewing, and subscribing uh, wherever you can on iTunes. And on iTunes, it really helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and telling a friend if you like what we talk about. Yes. Um, if you enjoy hearing Hamish and I's voices, um, I have a tentative release date for the actual play podcast that I have been beating back or have been beaten back by my executive dysfunction for months, but I have been trying to get it done. We are hoping to have our first episode go out on June 9th. Nice. Uh, Because that was a release date I wanted to meet. (laughs) Um, But hopefully that should be reaching your ear holes uh, next month. So um, obviously that will probably get mentioned. There is going to be a Twitter account for it that does exist right now. However, it's got nothing pretty on it. So I won't give out the handle just yet. Um, and a few jo- days before June 9th, uh, my book Dead Endia, The Watcher's Test, on June 1st comes out in the UK. Um, comes out in the US in August, I believe. Um, and I'm going to be doing a book launch for it at Orbital Comics um, near Leicester Square in London. Um, before then, at the end of this month, I am doing London MCM Comic Con. Um, I don't think I'll have Dead End yet, but I'll have Pantheon and all my other stuff. Um, and I'm actually also next month doing a signing in New Orleans, um, which is strange. New Orleans! (laughs) Um, think about coming to that if you're in the area. Um, I'll get dates when things are confirmed. Um, Exciting. And yeah, I'm going to be also doing a tour of, uh, last year I did a tour of uh, traveling man stores in uh, several northern cities, and I'm going to be doing that again. So if you fancy the sound of my book, which is all very queer and adventury, um, there will be chances to get it signed. So that will be really fun, but would you like to get back to the main topic that we are going to discuss? Yes. Let's uh, let's take away from the depress- depressingness that is Infinity War to something a bit more colourful, but and a much more successful and feels-inducing. So, a little preface, I feel, if if Hamish will uh, uh, humour me, we're going to talk about dirty computer. Um, 
Now, Janelle Monet is somebody who I only became aware of through Hamish a few years ago <laughs> when um, he would just talk to me about this amazing artist, um, musician, and showed me a picture just like, that is a very cool looking lady. I like, I like, <laughs> I like her style. And then I sort of, I listened to a couple of tracks. I didn't necessarily sort of connect uh, with her music, but I enjoyed what I heard. And then as tracks from Dirty Computer have been released, uh, we had uh, Make Me Feel and Pink and uh, Django Jane. And we saw these all came out and I was like, huh, this is cool. Then the full behemoth dropped and the world has kind of lost, well, it feels like the world has lost its shit a little bit over it, and rightly so. And to be honest, I have sat back going, I bet Hamish gets to feel so smug right now that everyone is finally going, <laughs> yes, you fools, you finally understand. <laughs> so, well, I appreciate now it might be harder to get tickets to see her perform live because now everyone seems to know who she is and wants to see her. Mm. Uh, yes, I... And apologies, liked her before she was cool, mm -hmm. but that's not. I don't feel like that. It's not a um, the. There's a certain sense of like validation, but it's more like pride and excitement. Yeah. And um, so yeah, I I've liked her since uh, her first album. It was shared to me by my brother. Also, Jade, you've done your fair share of showing me uh, stuff <laughs> and getting me into things, and probably your own your own senses of validation a few times. Um, I just loved her funky androgynous uh, prints. Like I really love prints um, mm. anyway. Uh, kind of vibe. Um, but most of all, I loved her kind of geeky background. Mm. Um, her first through two albums, one uh, limited play and one kind of demo reel she released, all kind of take place in a fictional world she created based on uh, the movie Metropolis. Mm -hmm. um, using, and you see like, in a lot of kind of sci-fi, like, robots used as a minority group stuff, but it's actually, like, significantly better coming from an actual marginalised person. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she has, in those um, albums, she kind of portrays a character called Cindy Mayweather, um, an alpha platinum android from the future, um, where androids are not considered uh they're second class citizens but they are often used for entertainment and uh you can be popular as long as you make non-android people laugh um she then falls in love with a human called anthony greendown they become uh, fugitives um and all of this stuff's kind of background you don't need it to understand what she's singing about um mm. she's always singing about forbidden love and uh, love that the government wants control over. She talks mm. about, uh, she sings about being a thing that people don't even consider human sometimes. Um, so it's like kind of vague enough, but every now and again, she'll start talking about like <laughs> the, the mushroom and roses bar on the East district and the mm. cyber control and things like that. Um, 
And so on her albums, she's always put these little dots that tell you what suite of the Metropolis saga you're in. And there was two dots left. Most albums are uh, two suites. So there was kind mm-hmm. of an expectation from fan droids, as she calls them, mm-hmm. that she would complete the suites. Um, and so then she started releasing music. And then she released an album cover and there were no dots. And so people were a bit, oh, is this part of the whole Metropolis saga? And there was a certain sense of like, not worry, but like, uh, I guess disappointment from some circles. Mm. I was a little bit like, oh, okay, we'll see what we'll do. Just make sure you get back to whatever. Um, but then the music started coming out and the lyrics started becoming clearer and she did a few interviews. And in one of these, she came out um, as... <laughs> she came out as sort of as uh, she's identified as both bisexual and pansexual. Mm-hmm. I know many bisexual and pansexual people uh, agree uh, uh, relate to that sort of. Well, I kind of use these labels every now and again. Mm-hmm. Blah blah. blah. Um, she has tried to in the past. She has a song called Queen mm-hmm. that was originally called Queer. Yeah. Um, she has in the past kind of danced around questions about her love life. She said, oh, I only date androids and Mm -hmm. kind of deflected things a bit. Um, And in her new album, Dirty Computer, even though it's, she has kind of said like, oh, it's kind of a prequel. It's kind of this. It's sort of set in the same world when playing someone else, blah, 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 blah. It does feel like an intentional uh, coming out as herself. Yeah. She's done away with Cindy Mayweather. She's considered that a character she played to kind of almost go through therapy and play the person she wanted to be. Mm. And I think a beautiful finale to that character is realizing that she can't, she is Cindy, so she doesn't need to call herself out anymore. She has become the person she wants to become. Yeah. And so that's my little TED talk about <laughs> why Dota Computer is great. But. Onto the actual album itself, it got released with a emotion picture, mm-hmm. which is what she's called all her music videos. But it's a uh, kind of like a taster of the album. Mm-hmm. It's about forty five minutes, mm-hmm. and you just watched it, didn't I you? I did. Yeah, um, it got it dropped when I was sort of on a weekend with my boyfriend Tom when he was over from the Czech Republic. So my attention was tragically elsewhere. Um, I feel like Janelle wouldn't object. Um, but yes, I finally <laughs> got the time to sit down and watch it. Had a whole big bunch of emotions. Um, I've mm. mentioned on the podcast before, The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is my favourite movie. Mm. Um, and I've talked possibly a little before about um, There Will Be Consequences and how our first season is sort of a cyberpunk, dystopian, very colourful kind of a world. Then comes Dirty Computer, which has the character of Jane forcibly having memories deleted and this gorgeous, colourful scape of a vaguely dystopian thing happening where people, everyone is computers and if you're regarded as dirty and that could be because you talk to, because you uh, have the wrong opinions, because you're queer, because you're black uh, or a different person of colour and just this came out and into my eyeballs and I was like... Well, this is basically everything relevant to my interests (laughs) and I can't speak too much to it because 
I am ignorant of such things, but I know that Afrofuturism is a bit has always been a big part of sort of uh, Janelle's aesthetics within her videos and the visual aspect of her music. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and it just it looks gorgeous, and Tessa Thompson is there, and I am mm. yeah. And it's this so, this love story you see played out through memories, and it's queer, and it's beautiful, and it's this expression of the self. Like you said, um, and like Jenna herself said, this is sort of an album she's wanted to sort of she sort of had in her mind for a long time, and it is sort of this outpouring of who she is even if it's through this character of Jane it's just like oh I think I get this person more than I did yeah like I I gave all the preamble about all the backstory but it's like that doesn't mean you have to listen to that all first to understand her this feels like a like I said a coming out party Mm. it feels like the start of something and it's very exciting and it's just nice hearing her I mean, it's just lovely hearing her wanting to express herself and and I sometimes when you love somebody's work, mm. a celebrity, yeah. the more you find out about them, the more disappointed you get. Yeah. Um, or they do something bad. And it's just very rare in this day and age mm-hmm. for someone that I've loved for a while to I mean in her early work she talked a lot about God and she still is quite religious and in my sheltered little mind when I first got into her I started worrying that she wouldn't approve of me or she wouldn't yeah she might have views that I found really hard to deal with yeah um so to get that from this album is a lovely gift yeah <laughs> and one thing I wanted to give a particular shout out to which is important for sort of the, the queer and trans communities is when uh pink the track got released out and it's very much a celebration of female sexuality and and Janelle herself has said it's like it's like her sexuality which is mm. why you know there's vagina pants <laughs> and things like that but like Janelle and Tessa Thompson both on Twitter talked about how not this is just because I am this kind of woman you do not have to have a vagina to be a woman and mm. there's a reason why, like, some of the dancers in that number don't have the vagina pants and, like, all of them yeah. are slightly different looking. And the trans inclusivity uh, is super important. And the fact that they've both spoken so candidly about it and that being important to them um, obviously mm. me- um, resonated a lot with the, the trans community or that I've seen, like, trans friends just like, heck yes, like, sort of, al- you're doing allyship right yeah, and like, there's other elements of queerness that aren't just Janelle and Tessa. Like, they're kind of in a poly relationship. Yeah, they are. Um, with some with another guy who doesn't talk much, but he's pretty hot. Yep. <laughs> um, and you see, like, people like background incidental people, like uh, crazy classic life. Um, you see all these sort of different. I don't say like subcultures, but uh, some people that got a very sort of punk aesthetic, and you see like. Uh, people who appear to be of the same gender presentation like kissing and uh, all sorts of expressions of gender within the people there and it's just like everyone is welcome and everything is Mm. beautiful and people being themselves before she released the album she released um 
she had this website and in order to find out what the track names were and all the inspirations for all the tracks you had to type in i am a dirty computer epic <laughs> um into the website and um she said that this album is just for you know the queer community and it's for us and i don't know we don't talk about music much on the show no. um oh but it we is haven't a said sort- these songs are a fucking bop like this, oh, yeah, this, yeah. this music is great. Like this is going to probably be the album to my summer. Yeah, I mean, we don't talk about music much on this podcast. I do have a tendency to stay in my own little um, comfort zones when it comes to music. Same, um, but it is a huge sort of part of like queer history and identity, mm. um, and a way that we've expressed ourselves for a very long time. Mm. And uh, I just, it's very nice to see it happening right there before you, and like. There have been lots of queer music artists before. Yes. Um, but I guess the fact that someone like Janelle, who people have known for a while, but her big breakout has been the same album as her big sort of overtly queer one is really lovely. Yeah. Um, so I'm just excited to see where she goes. And I have seen her live a few times. And I, like, when I first saw her live, she was the support act for someone else. Oh, right. Um, and I will try and get tickets. If I don't, it will make me happy and proud of her. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um. Seriously, though, if you haven't uh, listened to it yet, I really do recommend uh, watching. Uh, you can watch it all on YouTube free. Yes, there's a couple of ads in it, but these things can't be helped. It really is beautifully shot. Uh, the visuals are great. The costuming mm. is great. The dancing is amazing. It's just... It'll give you feels, um, but please do give it a watch. The the film also doesn't have all of the songs um, from the album, and you don't need to watch the film to listen to the album, and the album is available on Spotify and other places where you can listen to it for free. Mm -hmm. It's all on YouTube as well. Um, Also, places you can buy it. And I think I I do have all of her other ones on vinyl, and I will be that person and get the new one on it as well. Of course you will. Of Um, course you will. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, but uh, on this sort of upbeat mood, um, I think we should wrap it for today. We knew it wasn't necessarily going to be as long as some yeah, of our episodes. Yeah, it's a very lovely day. Which you're probably grateful for, dear listeners. Mm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this was uh, it was good to catch up and to share with you some of the things we've been excited about, or not, as the case may be. <laughs> I didn't get too deep into like- my Infinity War feels because there is more that I could have that... Uh, <laughs> Guys, I could talk about rocket. I'm going to talk about Rocket Raccoon to somebody more because I have a lot of emotions. We'll do a, we'll do a special Rocket. <laughs> Thank um, you for humouring me. We will be doing more episodes. We will be going deeper. We will continuing our loose sort of mini series we were doing eventually. If you have questions uh, or comments, they don't need to be relevant to any episode. We didn't do any uh, questions this time because we had too much to talk about. Mm-hmm. Please send them into boxonincluded at gmail.com. We also have a bunch of social media. We are Boxed Included on Twitter, Tumblr. Um, we also have our amazing Facebook group where we do all of our announcements about when episodes mm-hmm. aren't happening or when episodes are happening. It's also yep. private and full of queer and geeky people and lots of great discussion. Um, mm-hmm. You can also contact me directly on Twitter. I'm at Hamish Steele. And I'm at Rose. And we also want to give a shout out to the aforementioned Graham Waller, audio overlord and master of the sound waves. Uh, He produces the podcast. He helps us out in a myriad of ways. His album uh, Spectrum by Glitterwolf is still out there. You should check that out. It's really fun. But I think that's it for today. So until next time, I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele.
and don't let anyone box you in.